Hello and welcome back to QC Uncut, uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. I'm your host, Sean Leary, and my guest today is Marty Rahans. Now, Marty has been a drummer for a variety of um, bands here in the Quad Cities. If you have been out to see live music at any time since basically like the early 90s, uh, you've probably heard Marty on the drums. He's been drummer for Tripmaster Monkey, Einstein's Sister, Jim the Mule, the Veelies, and a whole host of other bands as well. Sat in on a number of other bands, Multiple Cats. Um, Marty, what are some of the other bands that you've been a part of? Wow. Yeah, Malcolm Cat, you mentioned Marlboro Chorus. Uh Uh, Had a release from a collaboration last year with uh, Pat Stolly from Marlboro Chorus, Jim Viner, or Jim Valet, excuse me, um, called Silver Paint. You should check that out. I'll send that to you. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I think that's it. There's probably (laughs) some more other ones in there. Well, Marty, thanks a lot for being a guest on the show. How you doing, man? Good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the invite. Hanging in there. Now, what's it, you know, we and I, before we start recording, we were talking about the, the weirdness of 2020. What's it been like for you, you know, being a guy who's very, very active on the local music scene? And, I mean, you're used to playing out a lot. And this year, that's just not happened all that much. You know, it's been kind of hit and miss with that. What's it been like for you and for, you know, the folks around you in regard to, to play, getting out and playing live? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, 2020, man. I think it's going to go down in history as, you know, uh, at least in my lifetime, as one of the weirdest. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, not playing live, um, you know, it's it's just, it hasn't been great, right? And I'll have to say, you know, I don't make the majority of my living off of playing, you know, music, but I know there's a lot of other bands and artists that do, so... Um, I'm sure it's been a much more, you know, devastating year um, for them. But, you know, I think musicians are pretty resilient. We figure out what, you know, so many different ways to uh, hone in our craft, spend this time, this downtime, uh, you know, writing music or, you know, doing some sort of projects. You know, obviously we've seen so many different artists, you know, use Zoom and other forms of uh, of media to, to at least uh, get themselves out there and you know keep promoting the product. So, uh, but it's been weird. It, it needs to needs to change. <laughs> yeah, being being a drummer, how difficult is it for you um, to to do something via Zoom or um, via uh, you know any sort of electronic means as opposed to live? Because obviously. You know, you can tone down an acoustic guitar or acoustic instruments. It's sometimes a lot more difficult to um, to level out the, the the sound levels on a drum, particularly if you're really kind of pounding away at it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm just starting to uh, I'm just starting to get into that. Um, so. You know, the guys in Tripmaster, you know, what is it, a little over a year ago, uh, we put out a record, uh, My East is Your West, so it's been the first record we've done in years, mm-hmm. um, 20-some years. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. It was um, an awesome record. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, man. I, yeah, I love it, too. Um, so, but we did a lot of that, you know, kind of writing. Jamie did a lot of the demoing um, by, you know, using GarageBand mm-hmm. and, and using, you know, kind of an interface technology to be able to plug in guitars and keyboards and and record that way. Well, I 
just got you know an interface myself so i'm just starting to record drums i i I think i need probably a few other pieces of equipment mainly some compressors Mm -hmm. Um, so when you talk about managing your sound um compressors could really help yeah help do that but but you know what it's enough to get kind of a cool john bonham feel Uh (laughs) right (laughs) and uh you know um so so yeah i've uh sent a couple things or at least one thing over to jamie but i've got he's got me down for a couple projects here that i need to uh that i need to record um here in the next week or so so yeah it's you know um that's kind of one thing I want to, you know, hone in on here over the next couple months is to really get the equipment needed to be able to to do some more cool stuff. And you know, I think you know, writing for a for a drummer, just getting some beats down to record and just to be able to just you know hit send off to uh, you know Jamie or even others who I've played with. I mean, that's that's huge. Just mm-hmm. to be able to say, hey, check out this new beat pattern. Um, so are you in? Uh, are you guys working on some new Tripmaster stuff? Um, we are. I mean, you know, it's it's great. Jamie hasn't really shut off. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, his writing. I think he kind of got into a groove, and and you know, probably COVID. You know, as much as it's taken time away from things like that, he's got you know two kids at home um, who you know need schooling and attention um, through this whole thing, but. But he's he's still doing demos. I just listened to one that he sent off a couple days ago, and so I've got some ideas for it. Um, so it it should be, yeah, we're still going, and, and you know, this this will be exciting. So what are, what can we look for any new material coming out anytime soon? What do you what do you think a timeline is going to be? How how far along are you guys in the project? Yeah, I mean, we're not far along. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, who knows? I mean. Yeah, if, if some of the stuff weren't releasing, you know, we would do it. Um, you know, the full-length album was a ton of work. You know, uh, it was great, and right. glad we did it. But you know, it's just—it's funny, you know, you just the way that kind of music is released and produced today. I mean, how many bands put out full-length records anymore? Right. You know right. what I mean? I right. mean, it, it sounds weird to say, but it's—it's it's true. Um, and you know you got the attention span of society the way it is today and so yeah i mean maybe just release singles or you know maybe an ep who knows um we'll see we'll see what's worthy right it's such a weird dichotomy in regard to the the music scene because on one hand you're right you're exactly right you've got we live in a, a very shortened attention span society and singles tend to be you know the mode of communication in regard to that but on the other hand you've also got this sort of burgeoning uh you know underground movement um towards albums and towards vinyl and towards like you know bands like fleetwood mac and stuff like that that you know you see trending um and people are discovering you know, a whole lot of, you know, people that were born in the 90s are, you know, discovering these acts from, like, the 70s, and they're like, oh, hey, did you know about T-Rex or television or whatever? I'm just like, oh, oh. yeah, I'm familiar, you know, um, yeah. and it, it, but it's cool, you know, I mean, they're, they're kind of discovering the the pleasures and, you know, the, the joys of sitting down and listening to an entire album and just taking that journey that you used to take 
from beginning to end um, on an entire, you know, having having that album be an entire piece of artwork in and of itself, aside from any of the, the singles that you extrapolate from it. Yeah, that's, I think you're right. You know, we being kind of, uh, you know, the creatures of, you know, at least putting out music in the 90s, but obviously mm-hmm. being fans of music for a long time prior yeah. to that. I mean, uh, you know, full-length albums, I mean, that's the picture, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's that tells the story, and it's hard to get that done in, a, in one single. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Um, you know, putting out, putting out, putting out a full-length album lets you paint that full picture. It lets you kind of take the listener onto a little bit of a different journey, and you know the ebbs and flows of uh, of, the, of the track. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. It's um, it's just a little harder to do today, right? <laughs> Especially when you're you know two thousand miles away. But oh yeah, we figured it out once. We can do it again, right? Um, now let's go back a little bit to when you first got started. How did you first get started playing the drums? And were the drums your first love, or was you know did you start off trying to play guitar or bass or another instrument, and then you kind of got into drums? What was it that sort of did it for you, and how did you kind of get your start playing? Yeah, so you know, interesting story. Interesting story for me. Um, I started playing drums. So, so my older brother Mitch, who's like seven years older than me. He's the one who got drums for Christmas, mm-hmm. and once he set those things up, it was it was kind of game over. Um, you know, I was the youngest of five kids, and you know, when you're youngest of five kids, you're you know, you got all the older brothers that are you know picking on you, or beating uh-huh. you up, or their friends are giving you a bunch of crap. And, yep. You know, um, you know, you're always kind of like uh, you know the one that kind of takes all the takes the brunt of all the uh, whatever whatever it is growing up right you know uh-huh. what I mean? and uh yeah so when the drums came into the scene it's funny i used to go down and bang on them and my brother used to get so pissed and you know he would uh you know tell him you know hey go to my dad and say hey tell him to get stay off the drums i remember my my dad was like hey those are his drums you really need to stay off them uh-huh. so I just figured out times when he wasn't around and they weren't around, I would get on them um, and bang around. And uh, and then he had started going to lessons. And so I would go and watch my brother take lessons or he would come home and he would start, you know, practicing his, uh, his lesson regimen of that day. And I never took drum lessons. I never studied drums. I never learned how to read music. It was completely off of watching my brother mm-hmm. play and uh you know once i was able to you know and then i, I think once i demonstrated for him it was like ah, oh, hey look i can hit this kick drum hi-hat snare like you do mm-hmm. and uh and then he kind of would start teaching me just a little bit of things but once i kind of had the basics down man i mean honestly it was like going down the basement plugging in your jam box, you know, <laughs> um, put uh, headphones on, put a bandana around your head so your headphones would be really tight to your ear. Uh-huh. And then you would, uh, you know, you'd put on Van Halen Diver Down record and play it front to back and mm-hmm. then play it front to back and then play it front to back until you perfected, like, every single song on that record. I mean, that's literally how I grew up learning how to play drums. So, you know, it's, it's funny, like, 
there are so many great drummers around here that I'm completely jealous of because they technically know way more than I do mm. about how to play drums. I've just learned to absolutely fake it and uh, convince people that I should play for them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so who are some of the drummers you mentioned Van Halen? So who are some of the drummers early on that were a big influence on you? It's funny. A lot of a lot of drummers will go right to Neil Peart, who you know, sure. who was just an awesome drummer. Um, but it was also the demise of a lot of drummers as well. <laughs> In other words, every drummer wanted to be Neil Peart, and they couldn't be Neil Peart, uh-huh. and you could tell right away that they would never be a Neil Peart. And so, you know, they were. Try- to me, it's like so many drummers just try to do so much. Um, they could just never really perfect the basics, right? Which is just keep a beat, keep a rhythm, right? Keep time. You know what I mean? Um, so I think you know I was a huge, I was a huge fan of Stuart Copeland. I mean, I think he probably for me was one of the drummers that just from a technical standpoint, it was like, oh, this is really different, mm-hmm. you know. And hearing some of his live stuff, I mean, he was just, you know, absolute energy going, you know. I mean, Sting will probably, you know, Sting has always probably, you know, said that he was the most frantic drummer and, you know, sped the songs up, like, way too fast. Uh-huh. But to me, I was like, that's that's kind of punk, man. I right. mean, that was, you know, that was, that, was, that was how live shows should be, you know? Just, you know, just completely unraveled. Um, well, it's so funny, Coulton, yeah, it was it's huge. funny you, mentioned, you mentioned both those drummers and you mentioned punk because that, I mean, punk was the antithesis and was the reaction to drummers like neil pert where you had you know i mean punk was hey anybody can do this just grab a guitar and learn to kind of you know hit one or two chords and and you know pound on the drums and anybody can get up there and and play music as opposed to like you know all the progressive rock of the time and all the guys who were so technically proficient um, Emerson Lake and Palmer is one that you know. I know John Lydon always mentions, particularly loathing Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um, and Copeland came out of that. Copeland came out of the punk scene, and so a lot of his drumming reflects that uh, that mania and that kind of you know naive power that you have from punk rock. That's right. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I grew up. I grew up, you know, listening to, um, you know, I was the youngest of five kids, right? So the brother that taught me how to play drums, I could go into his room and turn on his record player and listen to, you know, anything from ACDC, Rush, Thin Lizzy, um, to Jackson Brown, Mm -hmm. to Pure Prairie League, right? Um, and, and all those drummers, you know, Steely Dan, um, and then go down the hallway to my sister's room and take over her record player and listen to, you know, Elton John's Yellow Brick Road, you know, Fleetwood Mac, Tuscan Rumors, mm-hmm. you know, Police Synchronicity. So for me, it was like all of those influences, you know what uh-huh. I mean? Um, and even like... Jackson Brown, I was, you know, I was a fan of as a young kid. I mean, those drums were just, were just so rich and, you know, just present. 
but not present. You know what right. I mean? Um, they just, they, yeah, they were. I think it was Russ Kunkel who was playing um, a lot of that stuff for Jackson Brown days. So, uh-huh. yeah, a lot, a lot of different influences. But it's kind of funny, you know, as you kind of motor along, you know, in your career. I mean, um, or just you know, as you're getting into music. I mean, Bill Berry, REM. Um, he had a really cool style about him. You know what I mean? I mean, it was almost, uh, and a lot of people really don't know or may not have seen the way that he plays drums, but he likes to play, he likes to hit, he likes to hit his rack tom every time he hits his snare. So you could have a beat where he's hitting, you know, he's hitting his snare on the two and four, but he's also hitting his rack tom at the same time. So watch a video sometime of Bill Bill Berry where you're like, oh, that's really cool. Well, I want to try that. You know what I mean? And how can we put that kind of technique in some songs? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, you get influenced and you steal, but that's that's what all musicians do. So, how did you start getting into playing live yourself? How did you? What was the first band you joined? How did that come about? And what are some of your reminiscences of the first couple times you got out and started playing live gigs? stuff like my brother was in bands um and you know i sit in on a song you know hey here's my little brother and mm-hmm. i'd sit in those songs and, you know it, which was cool uh, but i mean yeah the Tripmaster guys i mean it was i think we we're called the deadbeats back then mm-hmm. um yeah the first ever show we did it was funny we were, chris and i were just talking about this and um you know we we met we met uh I had met Wes Haas through another mutual friend of mine when we were, uh, you know, the classic Griggs, you know, put a, put a flyer up and, you know, bass player looking for a band uh-huh. sort of thing. And, um, so met Wes, you know, kind of jammed around with him. He knew Chris, uh, long story short, um, the United Township high schools where Chris went to, to high school and, you know, every year they have the senior pep rally for homecoming. Uh-huh. Or this homecoming pep rally. And I think Chris put in that he was in a band and wanted to play it before he even had a band even put together. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, and it worked out, you know, thankfully for him. Um, so he knew Wes, and then Wes was like, well, I know this guy, Marty, and, you know, and Jamie. And so we, we got together. There's a lot more to that story, but um, anyway. <laughs> got together and we knew one song or no we 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 learned one we were supposed to play one but we learned a second one right before the show uh-huh. um what were the songs well you guys think about it so it's like ut prep rally i mean i don't know how many people were there it's like ut is a huge it was like what three thousand kids yeah, i mean it was yeah. huge right uh we played rock and roll by led zeppelin uh-huh. and and um at the time, our guitar player, the late Dave Reynolds, um, he he was playing guitar for and just killed, man. I mean, he absolutely killed the song and a solo and total Jimmy Page. And we ended up the pep rally, so they announced the king and the queen and whatever. And, you know, we play and everybody goes down onto the floor. And uh, the streets have no name because it literally, that video just came out on MTV. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, it was 
was great because we're right by the door and as everybody was leaving they all stopped and it's like you know massive amounts of kids are just like no way you know what i mean so yeah we started playing that um and it, yeah it was it was you know so me it was like okay this is cool uh, it's a lot of fun i mean first show for that many people uh-huh. and you know and then it just continued from there right i mean obviously we we the, you know the band had some people in and out of it at that time but obviously we ended up knowing the uh you know the current lineup today after a couple of iterations but yeah i mean playing live for me is don't get me wrong i think studio work is great it's super tedious and you got to remember for a drummer you know i mean your drumming work is done first right and then and then you're around like just smoking cigarettes for the next month (laughs) i remember like like, you know like recording and uh we recorded our first full-length record in boston Uh and um you know we were there for a month and you know the drums again were done i don't know four or five days or i think we i don't even know how long we tracked but obviously done relatively soon and then and then it's just you're just around like right. twiddling your thumbs man but um but live for me is live for me you know that's where i think well probably a lot of drummers are in musician right i mean it's, right. it's the live show is what you uh that's what you practice so so hard you know again with your her down record going back and forth and you know believe me i would get done with that record and i'd whip my sticks out to the imaginary crowd take my headphones off <laughs> go upstairs and eat dinner <laughs> go upstairs and do homework man I mean, it's like every, every, just like every van halen marty every day was a great show man it was great right. so uh, let's talk about how like okay you guys obviously start, you know, Tripmaster start off, and you're you're just, you know, a Quad Cities band. You're playing around. Um, how do you get from being? Tell tell us how did you get from being just a Quad Cities band? And it's not like we live in L.A. or Chicago where bands get signed all the time. We don't, you know, especially not then in the early '90s, you know, late '80s, early '90s. Bands weren't getting signed right and left here in the Quad Cities. So how did you guys? end up going from being this band that was just playing around the quad cities to you know being getting signed to getting a, a record label a major record label you guys were with sire electra so i mean which is a major label yeah well um you know it's a combination of a lot of things one i think it was uh, uh you know i think I, I don't think there was anybody in the band that never thought we couldn't do it. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, we 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 loved our songs. We were, we wrote. We saw that there was obviously a fan base in the Quad Cities that shared, you know, that love of those songs with us. Right? Um, we continued to kind of generate bigger crowds, and we would go to different venues that were bigger, and you know, we kind of grew. You know, grew up like most bands do. Um, but I think deep down in our heart, man, it was just like, this could absolutely happen if we just keep working at it. And, uh-huh. and, and it was not even a thing where it was like, wow, we're discouraged. It wasn't. I mean, we, we were at the right place at the right time in history, to be honest, right? Right. I mean, you had, you had Nirvana that was, you know, this, you know, raggedy sweater wearing dude, you know, coming out of this lipstick, you know, 
eyeliner, hairband generation, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know they definitely kind of paved the way for this kind of different sound, this kind of different take on music, right? Right. Um, at least for that day and age. So so the ti- the timing was 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 good for us. We you know we just we were always looking for ways in which we could make it happen. So it was you know asking you know, bandmates, friend mates from other bands that may have a connection with somebody in New York or, hey, you know, where do you just send your product once you get your product done? Who do you send it to? And so just kind of keeping on that investigative work. I mean, we would do we would do cassettes, you know, Cerulean Junk Machine, others that we would send off to labels and, you know, just hope that someone would respond back. Right. right. Um and and it did. Um, so how did that happen? When did when did that happen? And and you know when did you first get any sort of response from a label? And was it Sire when when it first came down? How did that happen? How did you guys get signed? Yeah. Well, you know, so this is where you need Chris Burnett because he's like perfect at remembering every single piece of timeline. Um, so I, I'm going to screw up. I, I forget the name of the record of the label. Um, it's not SVT. I forget the name of label. See now. What's that? Was it no, it wasn't see how. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, it, so, so we we got interest from from a label that says, "Hey, if you're ever out in New York, you should uh, you should come and you know we'd love to come and see you do a showcase." So we took that as like, "All right, we're going to go to New York and do a showcase, and these guys are going to come out and see us. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'll we'll give it our shot." Um. And so, yeah, we, you know, it's kind of funny. I think we went out to New York a couple times. One of the times, like, we're like, all right, we need money to go out to New York. I remember, like, some frat party or some frat, you know, some fraternity in Iowa City was like, hey, we'd love for you to play, you know, our party in our backyard in Iowa City for some football game. And we're just, you know, we are not the band to, to do that. But it was like, yeah. And it's like, how much you charge? It was like 1500 bucks. <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. And I'm like, boys, we got our money to go to New York. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, we went out. And, again, I forget the label that it had asked us um, to come out. They never even showed up. But we had um, some others' interest, which um, turned out to be our, our manager um, and even our A&R rep for Sire saw us play. And so um, that that, you know, gave interest to Warner Brothers wanting to see us play again. We went out to New York. I think we played CDGBs and uh, uh, the CMJ Music Festival. And that's where we got interest. Um, and it just, you know, again, it was the right place at the right time. I mean, you know, Seymour uh, Stein from uh, Sire Records ended up seeing us, chatted with him backstage, loved the show. And, uh, you know, before we got back, he was on a plane and saying he wants to sign us. So um, we're like, oh, shit, here we go. What was that like for you guys? I mean, how did that that feel to have that come true? I mean, so many bands, regardless of how good or not good they are, they... There are a lot of talented bands that don't have that happen. And, you know. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, how did that feel? Well, I mean, part of it is talent and part of it's just luck. I mean, you know what it's like, you know. You're in the right place sure. at the right time and you get that opportunity. And, you know, it's like 
Um, luck is always preparation meeting opportunity. And you guys, you know, you were prepared. You had your you had your songs down. You were talented. You had good chemistry. And you, boom, somebody happened to see you and click. It was, it just, you know, fit in. Um, I mean, surely you had to realize, hey, this is a huge deal. Especially since you guys were still like, you know, all in your, you know, early 20s and stuff. What did it, what did that feel like? You know, how, how thrilled were you to like, be like, holy shit, this is actually happening. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was surreal. I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting because we never expected, mm -hmm. you know, Sire, Sire Warner Brothers to even have an interest in what we were doing, right? I mean... You know, and, and it was a little bit of a time where it was like, you know, there was this kind of purist thing happening where it was like, oh, you know, you guys, you guys truly, uh, you know, uh, you know, an alternative band, you know, the likes of Pavement, you know, well, those guys wouldn't be on, you know, they're on whatever. Right. You got Madden right. Records, got all this stuff, right? Where it's like, so there, there were some friends that were kind of like, oh, you guys are selling out, man. You're, you're selling out to the big guys. And it was like, well, okay. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, feel, feel that way, man, but you, you go ahead and turn down a multi-record uh, multi, multi -record deal right. with, uh, with a major label, you know, called Steyer Records, which is ran by Seymour Stein. Right. I don't know, found some really cool bands. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, but yeah, it was, it was surreal. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it we... Uh, you know, we had, the good thing is, is that we had a lot of material that, you know, we were ready to record and pump out. Um, right. And so, you know, it was, uh, started out with our, you know, first EP and we did it in Iowa and then right into the first full length, which we recorded in Boston. So, you know, it was, it was a fun, super, super fun ride, but yeah, it was surreal, man. Um, you know, I think anyone in the band would tell you that there was at least one point in time in your life where or during that moment where it was like, I, I could be doing this for the rest of my life. And, you know, some circumstances, we, you know, a lot of us still are. Still playing, right. still playing music, which is great. Well, this, those early records were fantastic. And, um, I mean, they really, I always felt like, Again, it was one of those circumstances where I always felt like you guys had the ability and the chops and the songs to really, really strike it big. But it was just a matter of finding that luck. It was just a matter of that that one song clicking in the one circumstance. And then all of a sudden it would be like, oh, man, all, there's all this other great stuff, too. Because you did. You had so many freaking awesome songs. Um you know, Indiana was a fantastic song on that EP. Uh, you know, Liquid Sky was a great song. Um, Albert's Twisted Memory Bank, fantastic song. Colts was a fantastic song. Um, you know, Shutter's Closed was a... I thought Shutter's Closed should have been a humongous hit. And, um, you know, just, you know, the songs were there. It was just a matter of it clicking or, you know, finding that little bit of luck that kind of took you guys over the top because the songs you guys were doing were just as good as anything on the radio. And I remember um, at the time, Planet 93.5 was the radio station here. And I remember 
giving them so many ma- so much massive amounts of shit in my column for the dispatch because they wouldn't play your stuff. And I was like, they're on a major label. The songs are better than the, the majority of the crap you guys are putting out. But enough about Hootie and the Blowfish. And, you know, um, why, weren't, why aren't you playing them? And that's, I don't know, it's, um, it's just, you guys had the stuff. It just was a matter of um, the, 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 the good fortune of that was not there to turn it into hits. But, yeah, I highly recommend anybody listening to this, if you have not heard of the early Tripmaster Monkey albums or any of the, any of the albums, definitely go and check them out because it was great, great, great music. Um, what um, you guys did have, I mean, you, you kept on kind of flirting with that breakthrough, though. There were a couple of times you went over to, to, to Britain, you went over to the UK, played some gigs over there, and got some really good buzz. Um, you guys got on MTV. Um, what and You got on the, the Eric Stoltz album, Naked in New York. Um, you know, there were a couple of times that you came really close. You came right up to that line to, like, holy shit, this is going to happen. We're going to have a hit. We're going to break through. What was that like? What were cir- those circumstances like? And how did you guys feel? Like I said, I loved the albums. I thought you guys did some fantastic work. How did you guys feel about the work you were doing? I mean, I think I think at the time when we were putting it out, we loved it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's songs and records that might be more timeless than others, right? But... You know, at the time, we were putting out music that was what we wanted to put out. I mean, no one was telling us to put out something different. Right. And, um, you know, it was it was what was relevant at the time. And, and I think it's kind of fun to listen. You know, you can go faster, you know, from the first to the last, right? And you could see just the progression of us changing as... Mm-hmm. As, as musicians, Jamie changing as a writer. I mean, you have Chris was kind of starting out to play guitar. You know, Wes was writing. I mean, it was fun. Um, you know, the, the Practice Changes record, I mean, that was done completely on our, on our terms. Not that anything else wasn't, but I mean, we basically convinced the label to give us our entire recording budget to buy a studio and build a studio. Right. And, you know, we took the entire summer to write in the studio and record in the studio, which not a lot of bands had that opportunity to do at all. Um, And people thought we were crazy, right? But, but it, but it, it totally worked out for that time, right? Right. Now, granted, we, you know, that was the last record we did and there was, you know, there was some label changes and some kind of upper power swings that happened in the labels that, you know, I think we were, uh, you know, in direct line to, you know, to take the hit, right. Um, right. And other bands, but, but, you know, I'm so glad we did that last record when we did and how we did it. Cause it really taught us so much about writing and collaborating as a band. I mean, you know, I, you know, I play in the band now, the Veelys, and, and love this band. Um, you know, but we ha- you know, certainly haven't been around writing music as much as we were in Tripmaster. And you could just tell, like, you know, it's hard for bands to just be like, hey, here's this little part I have, you know, just a little snippet. And then all the rest of the band just goes, okay, cool, boom. And within, you know, 
two hours, you have a complete song written. Uh-huh. Not a lot of bands can do that. Right. Um, and, and, it, and it's so, you know, it, it, it doesn't come as easy. Um, it just takes that time and, and kind of patience and, you know, synergy and experience. I mean, Wes and I, Wes Haas, our bass player, um, and Trip Master, I mean, we we just grew just so in tune to our style. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I knew when he would make runs, he knew when I would do a fill, he knew when I'd come out of that fill, and it was just, you know, um, it just kind of worked out, you know, but it, it, it took time in that synergy. Now, I've always been meaning, I've always meant to ask you guys this. <clears throat> you took that money, built a studio with Pat Stolly. Was that then the studio that was used for Day Trotter? So indirectly, Tripmaster Monkey led to the birth of Day Trotter. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but uh, so what that really afforded Pat was, you know, I mean, I think his payment was the studio. Right. Right. Like, but also, you know, handshake agreement that he did an awesome job of fulfilling was anytime any you guys want to play here whether it's an individual or another band um you know that's uh, i'll record you right right um and so i i it'd be wild to say if there's any pieces of equipment that was purchased back in 1995 right <laughs> that still exists in that studio because you know pat you, yeah you know, and sell stuff all the time but yeah i mean in a way i mean it definitely helped you know pat kind of get the equipment and it's not that he didn't have equipment for right. sure but you know it definitely gave him a, a a huge boost to to what he had and then you know of course he took it he took it from there and yep day trotter started and you know the future apple tree studios and you know he's definitely made that snowball right but there is a there is a lineage i mean there is a there's kind of like a seed being planted there with that that move it's kind of it's kind of intriguing when you think about it that that all started with that one particular moment in time and you know you have a major label that's advancing the money to to get this started and then they kind of end up the waves end up going out there, that butterfly effect to where, uh, to where, you know, 10 years later, um, you know, day trotter is part of that. It kind of leads, you know, in an indirect way to, to that, but there is some sort of lineage to it. It's really intriguing when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can happen in the quad cities, man. You yeah. Know, small enough little town. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So Tripmaster breaks up, um, you guys, and it was an amicable breakup. You guys kind of, you got dropped from the label. Everybody was kind of going their separate ways. Wes moved uh, out to Portland, I believe. Um, and then Jamie ended up moving to Chicago first, and that when he did 10 Key, and then out to Los Angeles. Um, you and Chris stayed local. Um, and yep. you end up joining, um, you kind of played a little bit with Pat on a couple of his projects, Multiple Cat, Marlboro Chorus, and you know a couple other things. And you end up joining Einstein's sister shortly after that and kind of finding yeah. a home with Einstein's. How, here, here you are, the drummer for two of the best bands in Quad Cities music history. What is what was that like? You know, meeting, you know, going from Tripmaster, which was a fantastic group, excellent chemistry, and then you meet Carrie Tucker and Bill Douglas, who are just incredibly talented songwriters 
incredibly talented musicians and performers. What was that like for you? So, yeah, it's, well, first of all, there's, appreciate that. I mean, two really good bands, but there's a lot of great bands around the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially at that time. But, um, so this I, I don't mean life. to diminish anyone else, but I am like no, put, giving know, credit where credit's due. Those are both. I mean, Einstein's and Tripmaster are just terrific bands. I mean, just really like two awesome bands. Yeah, they, well, yeah. Some of the output from those from both those bands are you know still some of my favorite stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where Marty, you know, this is where I uh, could totally BS my way into bands. So <laughs> um, I remember seeing. So, I was there. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah. So it was basically like, you know, so I played both, both bands, which was a riot. So it was this awesome little baton handoff, um, you know, where it was Tripmaster's last show and it was the first show with Einstein. And God, I mean, I, we played with Einstein for what, 10 plus years? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Cause um, you guys went and you did international pop. I mean, and again, you had the same. You had incredible success, not just locally, but nationally with Einstein's. I mean, you guys played in Los Angeles at International Pop Overthrow. You played in Chicago at IPO. You guys played, you know, all over the country. Um, you guys, you know, were, I mean, again, not, never that massive pop, you know, top 40 hit or anything else, but you guys were very respected, and Einstein still is a very respected band in terms of power pop circles and a lot of power pop fans absolutely love that group yeah there is a there's you know that i learned from carrie tucker uh and einstein you know there's well they call it the international pop overthrow festival for a reason you know pop power pop is just this underground internationally loved music yeah (laughs) and and the fans are like you know fans um and so they love and eat this stuff up and you know um for you know for your listeners who really don't know what power pop is right i mean you know bands like jellyfish or material issue mm-hmm. were really kind of the the beatles are really you know, kind of like the beatles raspberries you know bands like that Um, 
yeah, the last year's been kind of the, hey, did you forget about us here? Right, <laughs> exactly. Master puts one out, Einstein puts one out, yeah. I yeah. Mean, no, super, super cool, love the new stuff, and um, just so happy that, you know, Carrie and Bill still want to do this kind of thing, right? Right. And, um, you know, Andy Brock, our bass player, and so, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to be able to continue to do it. And you've also, you know, been a part of other bands. You, you know, drummed a little with Jim the Mule and, and some other groups around the area, and then you kind of landed with the Veelies. Tell us how the Veelies came about. When did you guys first form? And, you know, obviously you're still going strong now. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, Tom Swanson and the Veelies, uh, you know, we obviously played together in, in Jim the Mule. Mm-hmm. I joined Jim the Mule kind of the last. Yeah, right. Two or two or three years, and I mean, I'm such a sucker for that kind of alt country sound. I mean, I'm a huge, you know, was a huge Tupelo Uncle Tupelo fan. Um, you know, some of their early stuff, and obviously Wilco and Sunbolt, and so you know, when those guys came around, it was like, ah, oh, these guys are great, and. You know, again, talked myself into a gig. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, so three years, two or three years, I think we, I played with those guys. And then, you know, Tom Tom wanted to get something going again. Uh, Maureen Carter uh, in him started kind of an acoustic thing called the Barstool Boogaloo. Um, I told them now they can't use that name because Boogaloo is associated with something I very know, negative. I know, I know. But, um, uh, and, you know, they, uh, they approached me, you know, saying, Hey, let's get something going. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Cause at the time I was taking a break. Like I had literally been in a band nonstop since my junior year in high school. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, there was never a stop and, you know, um, it was just kind of tiny, you know, I, you know, kid that was growing up and, you know, kind of those important things. And, um, so I, I just was like, eh, I'm going to take a break. And I think I took maybe a year break and it was like, it, yeah, I just can't get away from it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? So I was like, yeah, let's do this. Um, and I wouldn't say it was reluctant, but it was like, yeah, I think I'm ready. Um, and yeah, so the Beelies have been around what, four years, I think? Um, yeah, a couple different members. There, yeah. yeah, a couple different, you know, bass players. Um, but, you know, got our solid lineup now with Tom and Mo, and we got Alex X up, who uh, just maybe, I think we just played like our second gig with her. Um, she's a 21-year-old, just monster bass player. I mean, she um, she kind of adds this whole a whole element to the band that's that's fun live so um it'll be fun to continue to do that with them and you know we've been you know we've been so this is a band where we're doing a lot of single releases it's funny we went into the pat studio at future apple tree before the pandemic i mean so this was maybe late 2019 and laid down like four four basic tracks uh-huh. released one but we never finished the other three so it's perfect because we've been able to go through the studio and finish those up and, um, you know, release, release singles during this COVID time. You know, we've got another one that we're going to be finishing up here too. So, you know, trying to stay relevant during this crazy, crazy, crazy time, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and hoping, you know, hoping people still are, 
enjoying original live local music. Right. Now, you mentioned you were the youngest of five um, kids, and you had old, older brothers. Um, yeah. And you also talked about, oh, I was able to talk my way into this band. And you've always been, I mean, you've always struck me as, as such an amiable guy you know you're you're so easy to get along with and you do that how much of how much of being the youngest of five brothers and having to be so diplomatic in that regard has gone with you personality wise and given you the ability to mix in with so many different personas and personalities in all these different bands (laughs) that's really interesting i've never i've never really thought about that um well uh, so a couple things one I mean you know as a younger brother a lot of people are like oh you were youngest you were the spoiled one I'm like you know no way I mean probably <laughs> in some respect but I also uh, you also kind of had to fight your way through a lot of things right too, yeah right um, you know it's funny you know I will tell you one thing and you know probably when I was talking earlier in the podcast just about growing up and you know, I was kind of a dorky kid and I was super tiny and, you know, um, you know, you'd get picked on by your friend's brother or, you know, your brother's friends or, you know, there's just, there was kind of moments in your life where I was, or in my life where I, I probably didn't have the greatest self-esteem, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where I, the confidence probably wasn't there. Right. Um, and honestly, when I started getting into drums, and just dove into that um it was something immediately i i i I worked on it and i got good at it and i was immediately told that i was good at it and people said man you're good at that and look what happens after that point right right um you just you start to get the self-esteem that you know hey i'm pretty good at something and oh by the way if i work at something really hard you know you get accolades for it Mm -hmm. um and I, 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 I seriously, man, I owe a lot to, I mean, it sounds kind of tacky and here we are on a podcast talking about playing drums, but I owe a lot of just kind of who I am today and how I deal with, you know, people, situations, personalities, I, the drums have guided me through that. Um, you know, whether it's just self-confidence or put me in situations, meeting a lot of different people, you know what I mean? I mean, think about going into... Were we like 22 years old going into negotiations with Sire Warner Brothers? Uh-huh. I mean, of course, something we've never done before, but, you know, we all kind of held our own, right? Just to have that kind of confidence to be able to come out of that um, understanding, you know, kind of the magnitude and understanding the process, you know, it was huge. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, but, yeah, being list of five kids, man, I mean... You just, you, you learn, uh, you, you, you know, you, you take from all of them. You know, like the story I was telling before, just go from bedroom to bedroom and turn on the record players and, you know, let all of that influence just kind of flow all over you. Right. So um, is there anything we have not talked about that you think is important to talk about in regard to your music career now or um you know any other creative projects or things that you have worked on that have been impactful for you in your life uh, no <laughs> i'm trying to think of like a little you know hey you keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stuff you have to say it in the casey case of voice those, like, liners, you know? yeah man i should have been way more prepped for this uh, <laughs> no i i 
reached out to me to, to say like, hey, would you like to do this? I was like, why do you want? Why? What, why? What about, what about me that makes it so special? <laughs> so well, you're I, an you intriguing know, dude, man. I mean, I you, just, like I, I said, just, you're. I, you're a very talented guy, and you've been a part of like Quad Cities music history in in a lot of ways over the last several, de- the last three decades. Honestly, um, yeah. you know, you've been part of some of the biggest bands in the area. I, I mean, not just over the last three decades, but if you look at it, like how many bands from the Quad Cities have gotten signed to labels? How many bands have played? you know showcases in la for international music festivals or anything you know very few so um i mean off the top of my head i can only think of like a handful of bands that i know of that you know going back to you know bix biterbeck or whatever have achieved success outside of like the immediate area or region so that's kind of that's you know kind of a cool thing man that you're been yeah. a part of it it's been cool and i appreciate i appreciate that it yeah um we've done some really cool things i've been so blessed to be a part of some really cool things i hope you know i at least was able to influence uh you know i mean there's always songwriters of those bands man i don't write the songs but you know um if i can you know give advice to create movement or structure um you know to make a good song that i'm hoping I'm, I'm i'm making my impact but yeah it's been fun man i mean i think for musicians nowadays um it's a whole different scene right mm-hmm. i mean music isn't you know it's not like you get recognized i mean now you get recognized by just going on youtube and doing something really cool right and then and then hope that you know a million people like it right and it's like oh that's kind of weird yeah <laughs> you know what i mean um and it's funny, even like in the last record, it was like, okay, how do we do this now? It's like, you don't have publicists, you don't have, you know, it's like, it's all done differently now. Yeah. Um, and people consume their music way differently now. So, you know, yeah, the time to change has been weird, but, um, you know, I, my advice to musicians nowadays is just don't, you know, always believe that you can, that you can do you know that you can make the success that you want mm. that's that's my that's my advice you believe <laughs> and if you then it can happen and if you have well, a, you got to put yourself out there man if you don't then it's not gonna happen i mean this yeah. is plain simple <laughs> and if you have a really cool song come up with a good tiktok dance for it yeah oh my god <laughs> i have nieces i have nieces that are like all about the tiktok dance i'm like hold on a second is this all this is like people just dancing and they all have these like dance moves i'm like how do you guys learn this move and they're like oh it's so and so tiktok guy and i'm like what dude (laughs) i don't know if you're familiar i don't know if you're familiar with this but dreams by fleetwood mac re-entered the charts and is climbing it's in the top 30 right now in terms of like sales due to the fact that a guy went viral with a video of the song Dreams playing underneath him riding a skateboard and drinking cranberry juice. Hold on a second. I think I saw this. Yes. I think I saw this. He's riding a skateboard was and drinking like a, cranberry juice. Was he like a Hispanic? Like yes, yes, he was an older uh, yeah, Hispanic yeah, yeah. gentleman with shaved head. Right. And he was right. drinking cranberry juice. And because of that going viral fleetwood max dreams re-entered the charts after like jesus what would it be like rumors came out in 77 i think or 76 so that would be like what 40 44 years later 
And uh, and then Mick Fleetwood did a kind of uh, tribute video where Mick Fleetwood is uh, riding a skateboard and, and drinking cranberry juice to the same song. So not crazy. It, yeah. Well, hey, you know, I mean, here's the way I look at this. And, you know, we had the pleasure of meeting um, Jody Stevens from Big Star, the drummer of Big oh, Star. Oh, yeah, sure, when sure. We, when we, yeah, when we recorded... Um, we recorded a couple songs at Ardent Studios down mm-hmm. in Memphis for, uh, like, Colts. Yeah. Um, for the practice changes. And, yeah, we're, like, right now, I think we went to dinner or did something. I think we went to dinner. Maybe not. Uh, but we were in a car uh, with him. And, you know, he was telling us about the success of Big Star. Big Star was not successful. No, they like were they never commercially today, successful. When they were playing. Yeah, and, you know, he never realized that until I think he was, like, on vacation with his wife and, like, Japan or something like that and goes by the record store and there's these giant big star posters he's like what's this so you know you never know when it's gonna happen right, right. hey I believe man I believe right you don't you, you don't really know it's it's so, it's so strange I mean yeah you know, like like remember when Nick Drake all of a sudden had a big hit with Pink Moon year you know decades after he had committed suicide and that yeah. got used in the, like Volkswagen the Volkswagen commercial. commercial. Yeah, the Volkswagen <laughs> commercial. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, so it's funny. Um, and Jamie Toll could probably tell you this too. So you know, Jamie's been working in the ad business for a long time here, and. Um, a lot of these creative directors and these kind of music creative directors that went into the ad agency were all, a lot of them were A&R reps mm-hmm. from labels that, you know, are not really go, either going nowadays or they've completely changed their model. So these right. A&R reps moved into the ad agency business and, um, you know, they all knew cool music. Right. Penn Stick Direct. <laughs> so, yeah. It's awesome. So you never know what a, a Tripmaster Monkey song or an Einstein Sisters song could end up on a commercial at some point, or there could be a, some sort of weird TikTok video, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, trending on on Google, and and you've got a, a hit on the on the charts. So, well, let's cross yeah, your let's, fingers, let's Marty. This, let's, let's put this out <laughs> as get a your, challenge. Get your cranberry listeners. juice ready. Yeah, uh-huh. let's, yeah. Let's put this out as a challenge to your listeners. Okay, uh-huh. so they'll have to respond to this podcast in the response comment yes. section. And they could come up with uh, new ideas in which, you know, any of the bands that I've played with will, will uh, you know, what's the path for international success? <laughs> yeah. Come okay. up with a viral I, I video idea. Yeah. I want at least 20 ideas <laughs> uh, the day that this podcast comes out, and we'll work through those. Right. And whoever gets the winning idea and, oh, by the way, makes it happen and produces us, uh, you know, makes us international <laughs> stars, um, will get a prize, in which we will disclose at a later date. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. There it is. There you go. And we'll, there it is. We'll end on that, Marty. So yeah. uh, thank you very much for being a guest on the show, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, man. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>
Once again, my guest, Mar- Marty Ray Hans from the band The Veelies, currently also um, he's a drummer for Einstein's sister and uh, Tripmaster Monkey and a variety of other bands around the Quad Cities. One of the, the best drummers uh, around in the Quad Cities music scene and, and a cool guy, too. So I want to thank Marty again for being a guest on the show. And thank you for listening to QC Uncut. Uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. And hope you've enjoyed the show. I'm Sean Leary. Have a great day.